Hello, everyone. Before we start the episode, I just wanted to quickly thank all of you for listening to the podcast, uh, both regular listeners and any new listeners that we may have picked up. Uh, Todd and I started this in his garage a little over a year ago, and we're really blown away by the, the listenership, the people who take the time out of their day to listen to what we have to say about cycling. So if you're looking for a way to support the podcast, um, the biggest thing you can do is rate us and review us on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to the show. Our goal has always been to show how interesting and fun cycling can be, and we also want to provide information on how to get faster. So reviewing our show allows us to connect with more people and hopefully pass along the message that cycling is a pretty cool sport. Anyway, thanks again, and here's the episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Todd Norwood, here with my co-host, Jason Hammond. Hey, Todd. How's it going? You know, good. Another day in shelter in place, so hopefully we'll have no technical hiccups as we go through the episode today, but we do apologize in advance if any do occur. We try our best to keep everything running smoothly when we're doing this at a distance. But at the same time, there are only so many capabilities that public internet access allows us. So we'll, we will roll with it and hopefully everything will run smoothly. Yeah. So, so Jason. yeah, Todd, today we are going to talk about periodization, which is one of those big buzzwords in cycling. And we'll try and dissect it a bit and hopefully we can understand it a little bit better by the end of this podcast. So the first thing to get us started is understanding that there is this undeniable, there's this annual cycle in competitive sports, right? There's the, the championship every year in professional sports. There's the Tour de France once a year, things like that. In sports, things tend to run in a cycle and an annual cycle specifically. So, you know, early season events, mid-season events, some sort of championship at the end, probably a playoff. And coaches, you know, athletes, they tried to figure out at some point when they noticed this trend or, you know, when this trend started to exist in professional sports, what's the best way for us to get ready for the next season? We want to do well. How do we plan out what we're doing so that we can prepare ourselves properly or most effectively to get an advantage over our competitors? We want to win the championship this year. Maybe I'll get a bigger contract next year if we win. And there are three main ways to train. And we're transitioning now to cycling specifically. The three main ways to train are, the first one is racing into shape. Todd, have you ever tried racing into shape? You know, in college, actually I did. And we'll say I didn't go so well for a while uh, until there were enough races under the belt to see an effect. Yeah, so the way racing into shape works is you do a thousand miles or whatever you decide the number of miles is that you think is an effective base. And you start in, you know, November, December, you make sure you hit that mile goal and then you start racing. You race as much as you can every weekend, try and do a, a midweek race that is, a, you know, a group ride race or a, a training race, something like that. And you get a lot of fitness from these race events. And that is your main form of working out. And the main advantage of this is that you get the race specific training adaptations as a response to the fact that you're racing three times a week. So this can be a method that's commonly used, like you said, in college athletes and less serious athletes. It's a method where you improve by doing the thing that you're trying to get good at. It's very specific, but... 
yeah, I think certainly yeah. pay a you pay a price. You have to, I think, acknowledge that you will be paying a price in those early races. It may not go so smoothly, and then it gets better over time because you're doing very specific training for your target events. Yeah, so you have to have the mental the mental strength to you know get your butt kicked a few times, and then you start to gain that fitness. But the other thing that I want to make as a point for this type of training is say you want to be the racer who does the one lap flyer last lap of the race and he attacks and you know no one can catch him and you know he crosses the line alone you would have to do that in every single race that you compete in in order to train enough to be able to do that one lap flyer instead if you'd had a more rigid training plan you could practice that effort you could practice that type of training in order to then execute it in a race that matters so racing in the shape it has its advantages it's a good sort of lazy way you know you, you sort of get the fitness eventually you'll you'll get there eventually another method is the always fit method and todd have you ever tried this one can't say that i've ever taken that approach so the always fit method is very popular in california it's the reason why when you go on a group ride in december you get absolutely trounced by everyone else there. And always fit is a training plan where essentially you're just always, you know, you're always at a high level because you just train constantly. And the goal of someone who's always fit, you know, I want to just crush the group ride every weekend. I don't want to detrain because then I'd have to retrain. This is most commonly associated with high burnout. A lot of people who are always fit, who are constantly training throughout the year, they'll usually burn out. And the reason for that is because it's, it's too hard to do the high intensity workouts constantly to try and maintain this high level of fitness that you're trying to maintain. And I think we all know those riders who do something that's in between these two. There's like a hybrid approach where it's always fit and racing into shape, but you don't really do group rides. You're, you're doing group rides every weekend and that's effectively you're racing into shape and you're always trying to stay fit by doing that. There are some people who are very fast using these methods, but some disadvantages, like we said, you don't necessarily have the time to work on that thing that will make you a better racer or a better group rider. But also you don't have time to do things that don't maintain or build your fitness. Like for example, working on your speed skills uh, such as doing pedal stroke work or cornering pack skills or for mountain bikers like tr terrain navigation, things like that. If you're always trying to make sure that you have your next VO2 max interval complete, you might not be able to train on these things that don't improve your fitness because you would then lose fitness by training them. So I wouldn't want to train them. I just need to maintain my fitness. The idea here is periodization is a way to take a systematic approach to training where we avoid some of these downsides of racing into shape and always staying fit. And it allows us to work on things that don't necessarily build our fitness instantaneously, but build the base, build the foundation that we need in order to very effectively build our fitness in the future. Okay, well, I think that's the typical structured training approach, right? Is to have a periodized training program. And that's where a lot of the science lies and really a lot of the things and the topics we've discussed in prior episodes are all sort of built around the idea of periodization when it comes to training. I just want to make sure that we cover all the bases, make sure everyone 
understands the different periods that are involved in periodization so they can get a better idea of if they want to structure their own training plan, their own annual training plan, or if they want to better understand the, the protocol that a professional cyclist or a high-level cyclist may follow in order to get the fitness they need to perform at a high level. We're going to go over the different periods and understand them a little bit better. So starting off, there's some terminology that's commonly used with periodization, specifically macrocycle, mesocycle, and microcycle, which at first, I guess as a researcher, it sounds very nice to be able to say macro, meso, microcycles. But actually, they're, they're kind of annoying. The, the terminology is a bit too similar, so it, it might be hard to distinguish. But macrocycle is simply the annual cycle, the, the one year or it could be different for someone like an Olympian who might have a two-year or a four-year schedule. But the macro cycle is just one cycle uh, of the entire season. A mesocycle is a period, and that's what we're going to focus a lot of our discussion on, are the different periods. So a period is uh, two weeks up to 10 weeks or 15 weeks, and it's a portion of your annual training plan that is intended for a specific purpose. And then the smallest cycle is a microcycle, which is each each week of your cycle. So each microcycle you have a specific goal, and then you will change the microcycles slightly in order to start to progress towards accomplishing your goal for your mesocycle. And if you can run through your mesocycles correctly, you're gonna have a good macrocycle. You get all that, Todd? Yeah, it's always building. It's building from the week level and the individual goals that are happening there that then feed the goals that are happening at the maybe month to quarter level uh, in terms of how long a mesocycle is. And then ultimately those are building on goals that are working towards your full cycle goal, which is typically a year for most of us. And uh, maybe for the, the fortunate few of us at the very top of the level in our various pursuits, looking at maybe a two to four year cycle for world cups or olympic sorts of events yep and then some people have in between cycles and say you have a macro cycle of four years because you're looking at the next olympics but you might have a, a you know a smaller macro cycle of just that one year you normally will have a build of macro cycles if you have five good macro cycles in a row you'll be very fast you continue to progress even at the macro cycle level up to say your career cycle which isn't a cycle it's it's just one we, we linear yeah we don't get to have Oops. two careers most of us so going into the the different periods that a cyclist will have so the first one is preparation and this one is typically two to three weeks it's the first period of the training year and it signifies the first two to three weeks since you took time off or your last season ended so some people will take a month off i recommend taking a month off but if you choose not to this would be you should at least take a week off but this is the first couple weeks following your time off and the purpose of this is to prepare the body it's called the preparation period because we're preparing to increase the volume we're preparing to increase the intensity in the future this period is low intensity low total volume you can choose to do cycling, you can choose to do another aerobic sport, but it's intended to be a couple weeks of, let's get the body used to moving around, let's get the body to start adapting to training, and let's get ready to start training more seriously. 
And the reason for this is because you don't want to jump right in and start doing base training or threshold or whatever your workouts are. You want to give your body some time. Imagine taking a month off and then the first day back, your coach says, okay, you know, five by four minutes at VO2 max, get on it. Obviously that's, that's quite tough. So if we have two to three weeks of, of low intensity, we get the body moving, we can better adapt to these intervals that are coming in the future. And it's about building capacity. And if you think about the body, it has a certain capacity for load as a certain capacity for training and that preparation coming off of a rest period of relatively low activity is about starting to build back up that capacity. And really, if you think about each of these cycles and the goals of the cycles, it's about building an additional capacity on what was already there. Yeah. And actually, if we could go back for a little bit, thinking about periodization I thought of the analogy of, I guess this is a bit uh, kind of crazy of an analogy, but Todd, say you're on a boat and say there's five compartments to that boat that make sure that it's floating. And so you want those to be empty, obviously, so then the boat floats, but say there's a leak in each of them. If you empty just one of them to make that one chamber maximally valuable or maximally useful, the other four are going to fill up. So what periodization is, is a way to take care of these five chambers to make sure that they're all empty together at the right time. Because some, like our anaerobic capacity, they fill up really quickly and they become inefficient after a short period. Others, like uh, our aerobic endurance, they last for a long time. So that's like the chamber filling up more slowly. So what we have to do is we have to balance these different chambers that are, you know, detraining at different rates. And we want to make it so they're all trained all at the right time for our biggest event. Yeah, that's fair. It's, a, it's an optimization problem. How do we get each of these separate physiologic systems to all be firing optimally when that big event comes around on the calendar? And so what we do is we end up starting with the areas that detrain the slowest. And so the next period is base. This is the first sort of real period in an annual training plan. So preparation, we did our, our little bit of training, a little bit of fun riding just to get ready. And base training is when we establish this base. We've definitely talked about base training. We have a whole episode on it. But the idea is there are these aerobic adaptations that we need to make that they don't really go away. This is sort of that, that old man strength and you see people in their, their 40s and 50s who are, seem to always be fit, it's because they have so much aerobic endurance that they've trained over the years, and it doesn't really go away. And I think we also talk about this in long-term athlete development. The athlete over time develops this strength and this capacity that's consistently built upon over their years of developing in sport. Yep. So we have um, in the athlete long-term athlete development, it's some five years. The first three to five years should only be aerobic training according to the protocol. And that's because of the difficulty of training aerobically, it, it, getting training adaptations in response to aerobic training, but also the importance of it in the overall capacity of the athlete. Let me just make sure I go over all the points. The base is normally six to eight weeks. It's a good time to work on your aerobic endurance. So it's characterized largely by long endurance rides. Some 50, 60% of your total workouts, total workout time should be endurance rides. There should also be some time spent doing strength training. This is a good time to get started on strength training. So we also have specific strength training 
episodes, but this is a good time to start to build up the the total weight in the weight room as you move into a maximum strength cycle. It's also a good time to work on a couple of force rides such as uh, sprints might be a good option to do maybe once a week. But the main reasons that we do base is the increase in blood volume, the increase in stroke volume. These are important for future training. Specifically, we know VO2 max training relies on a high blood volume and a high stroke volume. We also should see increases in aerobic endurance. And we know that even for anaerobic efforts, say you're, oh, I'm, I'm an anaerobic rider. I'm, I'm very good at five minute efforts. Well, five minute efforts are 80% aerobic. So you still need that aerobic endurance and efficient aerobic capacity in order to be good at these anaerobic efforts. We'll also see improved efficiency of power production, increased ability to withstand high total training load. So we're also gonna work to build up the total time we spend on the bike. So maybe your first week in base is eight hours, your next week is 10, and the next week 12. As you build up this total time on the bike, your body builds resilience to higher total training loads. And this is more useful when we get into the more serious building later on. And we also have increased fat metabolism. That's obviously advantageous for road racing and advantageous for just overall efficiency. And um, also the, the glycogen sparing effect of increasing your fat metabolism will be beneficial across the board. So is this your argument? Go do your base training? It's yeah, important. We said it before. We're, we're reiterating now, part of your periodization is base training. Please go do it. And I don't know about you, Todd, but base training is my favorite period. What about it makes it your favorite? I have to ask this. I really enjoy the long rides just from, they feel meditative. They, they're enjoyable. They're satisfying to come home from a four, four and a half hour ride that you just hold it at, at uh, you know, 200 watts or whatever your, your endurance pace is. And it's also enjoyable to see over time, you hold that same 200 watts and your heart rate slowly creeps down. So at the beginning, I'll be right at the top of my endurance heart rate for 200 watts for four hours. And then by the end of base, I'll have dropped five, six, seven beats for the exact same ride. It's just very cool to see that my body's working more efficiently. I can feel myself getting better at these things. And also base is a great time to lose weight. So we did an episode on losing weight during base training. I talked about the protocol I use. So I see a lot of adaptations occurring in base training. That's that's why I really enjoy it. And also, you know, I enjoy mostly, I enjoy the four hour races the most. I like the training that, you know, most closely represents the racing that I enjoy. That's fair. I I do like a good long ride. I can get, I can totally get behind that approach and that belief. And I, I think for anyone at any stage of training, being able to see tangible progress is very motivating and very rewarding. So I can definitely understand that viewpoint. I mean, you should do your base. And the biggest reason you should do your base is because it takes forever to get your aerobic endurance up. You have to do it. You have to be willing to do it three, four or five years in a row. And then you will start to see these long-term adaptations that really don't go away. Or they may drop a bit, but they come back really quickly. And this is that, that base, that foundation that you won't be able to lose. It's super important. Please go do it. Even if you're not going to race, this is a way to, if your goal is to beat up on your friends every group ride, this is still the way to do it because these group rides are mostly aerobic. 
So you have that good aerobic base, you, you'll be able to handle the group rides even better. And to your prior point about the anaerobic efforts, those are built on top of a solid aerobic system. So without the strong aerobic foundation, without that strong base, your anaerobic efforts aren't what they could be. Exactly. So moving on to sort of the, you could say this is more of the anaerobic training period, but the next period is the build period. So the base period is when we really got our foundation down. We are prepared to start building. The next period, which is build, is six to 10 weeks. It may be even longer, depending on the time of your event, also how many peaks you want to have. I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but if you want to have multiple peaks in the same season, you will have a shorter build. If you're doing a one peak season, you'll have a longer build. The build is when you build the engine. So you're still doing plenty of endurance work. So something like a third of your workouts should still be these long endurance rides. And the rest will focus on muscular endurance and anaerobic endurance. So muscular endurance is the ability for your muscles to not fatigue at higher intensities. Some good muscle endurance workouts are something like three by eight minutes at 90% of your threshold at 60 cadence. And the purpose of this is that it's very fatiguing on your muscles and your muscles need to sort of learn how to be able to withstand that fatigue and be able to maintain the power even under the high amount of stress that they're on. And another example of a good muscular endurance uh, workout is actually single leg training. And we have an episode on that as well. And single leg training focuses on fatiguing the muscles of the leg rather than fatiguing the aerobic system. And what that does is it gives you more robust muscles. The reason you want robust muscles is the amount of force generation that occurs during anaerobic efforts. You, you may have a central circulatory limiter in the fact that you need to get more oxygen to your legs, but you may also have a muscular fatigue limiter in that your muscles can't produce enough force to maintain the power that you want. So if we do these muscular endurance workouts, we're able to make sure that our muscles can withstand the fatigue of these VO2 max, these anaerobic workouts, and allows us to ensure that when we're training these areas, we're working on our anaerobic system rather than the muscles just conking out when they don't have any more you know, strength in them. So another uh, muscular endurance workout is the two by 30 minutes at tempo is another good muscular. So each of these are, are slightly different. So the three by eight minutes at 90% threshold at 60 cadence, this is simulating something like a threshold effort. The five by four minutes is simulating the muscle load on in a VO2 max effort. And then something like two by 30 minutes at tempo is the muscular, the long-term muscular endurance of something like a road race where you may have a long climb or you may have a long pace lined effort where you just have to maintain this moderate, um, moderate effort and your muscles need to be able to handle it. So make sure you have some of those muscular endurance workouts. And also we want to focus the build period a lot on anaerobic endurance. So anaerobic endurance, that's lactate shuttling, that's also resistance lactic acid buildup, and this is a lot of threshold and a lot of VO2 max intervals. So throughout the build, you want to transition more and more towards these muscular endurance and anaerobic endurance workouts and away from aerobic endurance workouts. So at the beginning of your build, you may still be doing close to half of your total time may still be on endurance efforts, these really long rides. And you just slowly transition to more VO2 max, more threshold, more tempo, 
more of these muscle endurance workouts. And with these progressions, this sort of mirrors the different training zones, right? You're moving from endurance zone to, you know, and those, some of those second layer workouts you were talking about as the first phase of that build were more zone three, and working to zone four and zone five. Uh, as you're talking about the thresholds and VO2 max. So you can I think you can see there's there's a trend with these things. And we mentioned this in the train zones workout is that for a given zone, like as you go up in zone number, which is an increase in intensity, the duration of any interval that you're doing actually gets shorter. I guess the exception would be those single leg efforts that you mentioned, which don't quite fit into the typical zone approach. Yeah, so this, yeah, the single leg workouts are a little weird, but yeah, for the most part, we are progressing from these longer efforts to shorter efforts. And the purpose is we want to prepare the body for the shorter efforts in order to get the actual training adaptations that we want out of them. The other thing that we know about build is from the VO2 max episode, we know that adaptations to our VO2 max, changes in our VO2 max, don't really occur past 10 or 12 weeks. A lot of the studies that went on for a very long time actually saw less improvement than shorter studies because the longer studies, they, the athletes weren't able to maintain the intensity or they had to have a lower intensity. So if you have this short burst of VO2 max, short burst of anaerobic endurance training, that allows you to get a big boost and it doesn't burn you out. But you, you do have to be careful and you do have to make sure you maintain that aerobic endurance. You have to make sure you maintain the quality of your muscles, make sure you get enough recovery. But yeah, the build period, that's when you start to get good at riding. That's when you get the speed. That's when you start to build the capacity to win races. Yeah, so that's when really you're developing your fitness. That's when you're getting strong. Right. And so you have a good build. Your, your race is coming up soon. About two to three weeks before your key race, you'll have a peak. And the idea behind a peak is your body after a workout, it will hypercompensate. This is the whole idea of getting better at cycling is let's do these VO2 max intervals. And your body says, I didn't like that very much. Let's adapt to make this relatively easier. Let's be able to handle this workload better. And when you peak, what you do is you reduce your volume but your body sort of says, no, we think we need to continue to adapt to greater, you know, greater demands. So you get this crazy hypercompensation because your body thinks, oh, the workout's coming tomorrow. I know it. I know that we're going to be fatigued dramatically. So it prepares itself for that. And what you do is you don't fatigue it as much and, and it, you get this hypercompensation. So a lot of athletes will see a big increase in their numbers when they peak. And the idea here is to reduce the volume so that the total fatigue goes down, but you have to keep the intensity up. And so if you normally do VO2 max intervals and say you do six by four minutes, if you drop that down to three by four minutes at the same intensity, you get the same stimulus in that your body says, oh, we need to make sure we can handle this load, but you don't get the same amount of fatigue. And so the, the hypercompensation occurs, you get a lot more total fitness, total strength as a response. Right. Because you've reduced the intensity, you've reduced the training load, and that in turn allows the fitness to continue to improve, but reduces the overall fatigue. And you, like you say, you take advantage of this supercompensation, hypercompensation effect. 
And your, your body is basically a little bit slow to catch up to the fact that you, you sort of reduced the load on it, right? It's like you pulled the, the wool over its eyes and it's just continuing to adapt the way it's done to the prior workouts, but you change something subtly and now you overshoot and you're fresher and lo and behold, you're going really fast if you did it right. Right. So the peak period is normally signified by only working out three to four times per week with two short race simulation days and one to two recovery days. So the point of these race simulation days is to get that same intensity that you got at the end of your build, but with less total volume. So the the big emphasis here is you need to have the same intensity or else your body won't give you that hypercompensation. But the other point is you need to reduce the volume so that you don't fatigue your body as much. So twice a week, do this sort of race simulation day and then um, have one or two recovery days. Just keep the legs moving, keep the muscles working properly and help you recover and continue to prepare yourself for the next period, which is the race period. So the race period is three to five weeks. What you're doing in the race period is you're using your fitness to get results. So it's nice actually that we have a three to five week period where we can use this hypercompensation that we got from the peak period. And it turns out that the fitness that we can maintain is a three week period before there's a drop off in fitness. If you're riding, you're training, you're doing your workouts and suddenly for whatever reason you can't stop racing, it's three weeks before you really see a drop off in your fitness. You could get back on your bike at any point in those three weeks and probably put out the same numbers. In the race period, we we want to rest. We want to really emphasize rest and be fresh for the big events. Because we're not building fitness right now, we're just making sure that we are fully prepared to take on the races that we're going to take on. So we want to make sure no long training because that'll that'll bog down the system, that'll increase the total fatigue on the system. So that could take away from your ability in races. And really, yeah, the point here is that we want very little training. We want to make sure that we have all the strength we need for the next weekend's race. And the other point is that the races will take a massive total fatigue load on you. If you're racing correctly, they'll be, uh, they should be pretty hard on you. A lot of time, one to two to three days of recovery following the big race, and then maybe a workout that next day. And then maybe one more workout before the next weekend's race. But really, we're working out once or twice a week, and then the next race day comes. And so the race period is characterized by actually not very much time on the bike and only two to three workouts, one of those being a race or two of those being a race per week. Yeah, it's really about active recovery and in between, like you said, prepping yourself so you can do well at the next race, not incurring any additional fatigue because your fitness isn't going anywhere just make sure you're ready for the next race the race period is a lot of fun as well because you're just so fresh you're not doing anything to get tired you're always topped off on your energy stores because you know you're never depleting your glycogen except in the race day and the race period is is so much fun you go to the races you smash the race you feel so much faster than you did and all that time you spent training it's just so enjoyable to go out there with a lot of fitness yeah, I think that's one of these things, right? It it pays dividends to go through and follow protocol, be disciplined, you know, follow the science, do your proper training, you know, know your zones, test, retest, and have a good plan. Because if you can stick to those things, we know you're going to get a much better result. 
And there's this study that I read a few years ago. I always liked the site and I haven't been able to dig up the reference recently. I'm going to have to keep digging for it. But it didn't look at cycling. It looked at track and field athletes. And one of their biggest conclusions, one of the best predictors of the athlete's performance was that they were able to complete upward of 80% of the workouts that their coaches had prescribed to them. And I think there's two takeaways for me on that study is one is, hey, you know what? The coaches and everything and the science that we have is really solid. And we know how to get an athlete in really peak shape for their competition. And two, there's tremendous value in staying healthy and avoid injury and being able to follow that protocol because we know it will be successful given the opportunity. Yeah, stick to the workouts. I remember reading that Bradley Wiggins was somewhere around 95% completion on his workouts when he won the Tour de France, which is incredibly impressive. But yeah, yeah that's, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think they even, yeah, I mean, 95% of the intervals prescribed to him, he did yeah, to that's completion. Absolutely incredible. But I mean, he won the Tour de France. So we should right, have that's precision too. We should precision have precision coaching. Some, some lower standards for ourselves and keep that in mind so if, if you are closer to 80 percent or 70 percent you should still be happy with with the work you're doing well, for most of us trying to win the tour de france is in our day job right we have other things that might get in the way of being able to complete 95 percent of the intervals prescribed to us the race period yeah go out there go have fun enjoy your events and after the race period is over if you're planning to have more than one peak or you have more than one a race in a given year so typically for me i would have an a period a race period in march into april and then i'll have another a period in august and there's a couple big road races in august in california and the spring there's chico i guess not anymore but in the spring there's chico and a few other big races in march so normally I would have two peaks. And what you do after the first peak is you go right back to build. Normally, some people will take a week off or a week relaxed. Other people, they don't, they don't necessarily want to detrain that much. But essentially, if you're going to have more than one peak in a season, you just go back to build and you go back to starting with a lot of endurance and you slowly ramp up the amount of VO2 max and muscular endurance work you do back up to peaking again. And then you go into another race phase. And what you'll actually see is when you start that build, your VO2 max, it will drop a little bit. The power you can produce at your VO2 max will drop a little bit. But the net end at the end of the second build should, should be higher than the end of the first build. And so what you get is this stair-stepping effect on a lot of these performance metrics, like your threshold, like your five-minute power. You'll see if, if you were to test as often as you could, you would see flat or maybe a slight drop and then a sharp increase and then it's flat again during your next peak and race period and then maybe a bit of a drop and then it'll rise again during your next build period. And so if you're able to do this build flat, build flat, build flat for five years, six years, that's when you really get fast. And so that's something that the professional athletes will lean on is it does take five, six, seven years of this plateauing and then going up a bit and then plateauing and then going up a bit to see the total capacity at these massive levels that we see or we hear about. This rider has 400 something threshold. It doesn't make any sense to us, but 
it was some lower number. They just built it 10 watts at a time, each of these stair steps, 10 watts, 10 watts, 10 watts. And they just did, you know, 10 stair steps and now they're at 400 watts. It's certainly possible. It's out there. Obviously we see it. And I think for a lot of us, it's the, you know, it's not our day job. Like I said, uh, we don't necessarily have the time to de dedicate to it or the ability to be as consistent, but we all probably have a lot greater potential than maybe we even consider for ourselves uh, if we're able to dedicate the time. And it, you know, again, it doesn't have to be a massive professional level time, at least at baseline, but if you build to it and you're consistent with a plan, it's certainly possible to make really dramatic gains, you know, year over year. And then like you're saying, Jason, three, four, seven years down the road, uh, you would say, wow, like, is that even the same person? Independent of, you know, any performance enhancing supplements, just purely following a scientific, solid training program can make tremendous gains. Uh, if you're consistent with it. Yeah, for me personally, I think I compared my second year workouts and my second year power to my fifth year power and workouts. And just comparing that progression, I think you you do progress a bit quicker in your first few years. But I remember comparing them and seeing the changes and saying, oh, that's how the pros get fast as they do. They do that for another three, four, five years. And if they can continue that growth, that's how you see massive improvements in power. So let me go over the last period, which is the transition period. And the transition period is one to four weeks. This is after your last race period of the season, you say, okay, I want to rest. I want to recover. And that's the main focus of this period is let's do nothing or let's do something if we feel like it. The point is just do whatever you want. Keep the volume down. Uh, some people, they... Don't want to look at their bike they put it in the closet they never look at it again for the whole month other people say hey i'm having fun i'm going to go do some group rides i'm going to just enjoy myself other people say i'm going to go play some soccer i'm going to play some volleyball i'm going to go skiing whatever and the point is for a mental and physical refresh and so that's one to four weeks depending on how soon your next race block is on the other side of the season so if your racing finishes, like for example, the World Tour, they probably have a pretty short transition period because the World Tour is racing October is the end and then they start up in January with the Tour Down Under. And so their off season is pretty short, so it's unlikely they have a long transition period. Although you'll see some athletes, they, they'll like skip the World Championships in order to have this transition period, just to give you an idea of, of how the pros do it. But yeah, the, the big point is probably refresh for one to four weeks. I always do four weeks. I don't normally ride my bike very much or at all. And so it's always fun to get back on and, and sort of let your muscle memory kick back over when you start riding again. Uh, but it's very important to take that time off. And if you haven't taken a serious chunk of time off in the last couple of years, you should do it. it. It'll actually help you get faster to slow down a bit and help your mind refresh just as much as your body. Yeah, absolutely. And I look at this sort of the same way that I look at compound interest um, and that it, it builds over time and it's a cumulative effect, not just the, the rest, but this whole approach of periodization is, you know, the, the micro cycles are building on themselves and these cycles, you know, macro cycles. Um, and each, each part has its own role to play, including these rest periods where you take some time off the bike. But at the end of the day, just like compounding interest, it's going to build for you over time and you have to be consistent with it and let it do its work. 
And then this is where you're going to see the results. And I think staying true uh, to all the pieces and recovery is a part of it. I think we talk about recovery all the time within our training. God did a hard workout and do my active recovery. Um, But even at the end of a, a cycle, it has its place. And you need to take that just as seriously as the recovery that you do after a hard race or a hard workout. And I think the other point that I want to make here is that just because you're a group rider and you don't race, you just enjoy riding with your friends or you enjoy the training aspect, you can still see a benefit from periodization and it can still be valuable to you. So we did a lot of talking in the context of racing specifically, but this progression is just a progression for how to gain fitness over time. Even if you're not racing, you can still use these ideas, you can use these concepts to really start to get fast, even if your pursuits are non-competitive. Yeah, I think to reinforce that point, we do know that the body adapts to the stimulus we apply to it. And if we consistently apply the same stimulus, the amount of adaptation that you get diminishes over time. So if you are a group rider and you consistently do the same group ride, and yes, you could argue like, oh, it's a group ride, it's variable. I never know who's going to show up or who's going to push the pace, how hard we're going to go. Yes, to a point. But if you do the same group ride twice a week for years on end, if you checked your power files, if you're into that, however you want to measure it, I guarantee you the variability over that time is actually probably pretty small. And thus, you're probably really getting quite small improvements in your fitness, if any. You're, you're really maintaining it. And you're probably actually blunting your effect to get a really meaningful change from that training. You're just staying at the same level and maybe even deteriorating a little bit depending on how things change over time. Yeah, and I think that's the key point to emphasize here is that if you do the same stimulus, you get smaller and smaller adaptations over time to the point where maybe you don't get any adaptations or the adaptations start to fall off. So this is back to the always fit method, which is if I'm always racing to get fitness or always racing to maintain my fitness, then you don't have the ability to work on other areas. Like for example, say force production is your limiter. Of course, it's hard for us to tell what our limiter is, but for you, maybe you have, you know, you have low total body mass or low total leg muscle mass, something like that. And if you increase the amount of force you could put in the pedals, you could see an increase in your threshold because you're not limited by your oxygen intake, you're limited by your muscles. If you're always trying to do these group rides to stay fit, you're missing out on the chance to get rid of that limiter. So if you notice for the periodization program, we're attacking these different areas in different parts of the season. We have the base where we're doing lifting. We have the base where we're doing aerobic endurance. We have the build where we're working on our threshold. We're working on our VO2 max. And then we have our period of let's embrace the strength that we have and go use it. And then we go back to working on either you know threshold and VO2 max, or if it's the end of the season, we transition again to building that aerobic endurance again and building the the force production again. Understanding that we're touching on all the different areas and we're making sure that they're not a limiter. Whereas if you just say, oh, I need fitness and you have a more short-term view of, I need to go do that group ride, you may be missing out on a big limiter. All sound advice, all certainly backed by the science and the research around training. And I think for any athlete if you have some hesitation around it it's worth the shot give it a give it a try either take the self-coaching approach 
Um, there's good manuals out there or hire a coach. I know Jason would certainly advocate for that and give it, you know, you have to also be patient with it. You got to give it a year or two to really see the effect. But I think if you've been used to less formal training or just winging it and going out on group rides, this will give you the opportunity to really see some pretty profound change in your fitness by addressing those specific limiters in a very strategic fashion over time. Absolutely. And um, I think that's all I have. Todd, if you want to wrap this up for us. Well, as always, we, we appreciate that you're listening to us. And if you do have feedback, please leave it wherever it is that you're listening to our podcast. We do appreciate that and take it seriously as we're trying to make a high quality product for you. So let us know if there's anything we can improve upon or do better. Or if you, you like us, we appreciate those positive comments as well. Um, please do share or tweet about us or whatever it is, whatever way that you share with your friends or other folks that you listen to our podcast and enjoy it. Please do share it out. We appreciate having the opportunity to reach more folks. And as I always say, thanks for listening. And until next time, keep the rubber side down.